The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey there, history fans. We're off for today, but please enjoy these flashback episodes from the TDI HC Vault. And be sure to tune in tomorrow for a brand new episode. See you then. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that shines a light on the lesser-known heroes of history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're celebrating the life of Dorothy Height, a beloved figure of the civil rights movement known for her charm, intelligence, leadership, and fine taste in hats. The day was March 24th, 1912. Civil rights leader Dorothy Height was born in Richmond, Virginia. She grew up to be one of the most influential women of the modern civil rights movement, but her role in the fight for social justice was often overshadowed by her male contemporaries. Her name may not be as well known as theirs, but her dedication to making the United States a more open and inclusive place for everyone was unprecedented. Height once said, Greatness is not measured by what a man or woman accomplishes, but by the opposition he or she has overcome to reach his goals. Dorothy Irene Height had plenty of opposition to overcome on her own road to greatness. As a child, she was diagnosed with severe asthma and told that she likely wouldn't live past age 16. She beat those odds, though, and made it through high school alive and well. Along the way, she and her family had moved north to Rankin, Pennsylvania, not far from Pittsburgh. There, Hyde attended an integrated public school and quickly developed a passion for civil rights work. As a teenager, she volunteered for campaigns against lynching and in support of voting rights. She attended numerous marches and discovered she had a natural gift for speech-making. Her way with words later earned her the top spot in a national oratorical contest, along with a scholarship to Barnard College. Unfortunately, when she tried to enroll after graduating high school, she was turned away. The college said 
that it had already admitted two black female students that year, which meant that its quota had been filled. Height decided not to waste a year waiting for another shot at one of only two spots at Barnard. Instead, she attended New York University, where she earned her bachelor's degree in education in 1930. At Columbia University, she earned a master's in educational psychology two years later. She also did postgraduate studies at the New York School of Social Work and continued to push for criminal justice reform and women's rights. After college, Height became a teacher at the Brownsville Community Center in Brooklyn and later took a job as a caseworker for the city's welfare department. In the late 1930s, she became the assistant executive director of Harlem's Young Women's Club of America, or YWCA. Not long into her tenure, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt came to town to attend a meeting of the National Council of Negro Women. Height was chosen to escort the First Lady to the meeting, and once there, she caught the attention of Mary McLeod Bethune, the council's founder. After the meeting, Bethune asked Height to join the group in their fight for women's equality. As always, Height jumped at the chance to volunteer and later went on to work with the organization for nearly 40 years, including as its president. For much of that time, she also served on the national board of the YWCA. In 1946, she helped oversee the desegregation of all the Y's facilities nationwide, and in 1965, she founded the Y's Center for Racial Justice, which she led herself for the next 12 years. Dorothy Height's work for those two organizations reflected a belief that wasn't shared by many of her contemporaries. Historically, the black civil rights movement and the women's civil rights movement didn't have much overlap, and each group's struggle for equality was considered its own separate issue. However, Dorothy Height believed the struggles were deeply connected, parts of the same overarching problem. Black men and women of all races were marginalized in America, and black women doubly so. As a black woman herself, Dorothy Height knew that all too well. Despite her best efforts to unite the movements, though, they largely remained only reluctant allies. This left Height somewhere in the middle, sidelined by much of the women's movement because of her race, and by much of the black movement because of her sex. However, the lack of a spotlight never weakened her resolve, and she eventually took her place at the highest levels of the civil rights movement, right alongside the so-called Big Six. That would be James Farmer, John Lewis, A. Philip Randolph, Roy Wilkins, Whitney Young, and Martin Luther King Jr. Although, at least one member of the Big Six, James Farmer, considered Dorothy Height to be the group's true sixth member, rather than A. Philip Randolph. At any rate, Height was the only woman on the speaker's platform when MLK delivered his I Have a Dream speech at the 1963 March on Washington. Although she had been instrumental in planning the event and was a prize-winning orator herself, she was not given the chance to speak that day. Height reflected on the experience in a 2003 interview for NPR. She said, quote, my being seated there had some very special meaning, because women had been trying to get a woman to speak on the program, but we were always met by the planners with the idea that women were represented in all of the different groups, in the churches, in the synagogues, in the unions, organizations, and the like. 
so the only voice we heard of a woman from the podium was that of Mahalia Jackson, a gospel singer. That was a diplomatic response, but by all accounts, Dorothy Height really was more concerned with the collective struggle than she was with personal glory. In another 2003 interview, she told the Sacramento Bee, quote, I was there, and I felt at home in the group, but I didn't feel I should elbow myself to the front when the press focused on the male leaders. Once again, her service, her mission, was what mattered. She continued it through the 1970s and 80s by establishing self-help assistance programs through the NCNW. She once said, quote, We are not a problem people. We are a people with problems. We have historic strengths. We have survived because of family. With that in mind, Height launched a series of black family reunions in the mid-1980s. Held in cities across the country, the events were large-scale celebrations of African-American history, culture, and traditions. Hundreds of thousands of people attended the gatherings, helping to foster deeper bonds in their communities. Humility and selflessness are admirable qualities, ones that Dorothy Height had in spades. But sometimes, you really just want to see a person get the recognition they deserve. And thankfully, Dorothy eventually did. In 1994, President Bill Clinton presented her with the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor. She received numerous other awards and accolades as well, including about three dozen honorary doctorate degrees from esteemed schools such as Tuskegee, Princeton, and Harvard. However, the academic honor that likely held the most meaning was a degree awarded to her in 2004, an honorary bachelor's from Barnard College, the same institution that had turned her away 75 years earlier. True to her character, Height continued to fight for equality right up until the end of her life. In 2008, just two years before her death, she was looking ahead to the future of the civil rights movement. She outlined the next steps, saying, quote, We don't need the marches we had in the past, but we need more consideration in looking at the boardroom tables and at the policies that are going on, looking at what's happening in industry, what's happening in terms of employment opportunities, housing, and the like. Dorothy Height passed away in Washington, D.C. on April 20, 2010, at the age of 98. President Barack Obama remarked on her passing, describing her as, quote, the godmother of the civil rights movement and a hero to so many Americans. It was a fitting tribute and a well-earned title, but Dorothy liked to frame her legacy as something more approachable, something that any member of society could aspire to themselves. She said, quote, I want to be remembered as someone who used herself and anything she could touch to work for justice and freedom. I want to be remembered as one who tried. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class.
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. It's Eves again, and welcome to another episode of This Day in History class. The day was March 24, 1989. The Exxon Valdez oil tanker spilled 11 million gallons of oil in Prince William Sound in the Gulf of Alaska. The oil spill caused extensive damage to the environment and was the largest in U.S. waters until the Deepwater Horizon spill in 2010. 
Exxon Valdez was one of the newer ships in the Exxon Shipping Company's fleet. The night before the spill, Exxon Valdez left Valdez, Alaska, and was headed to Long Beach, California. It was carrying more than 53 million gallons of crude oil. Captain Joseph Hazelwood had been drinking alcoholic beverages that day, which would later become a point of contention. The tanker left the dock not long after 9 p.m., but just after midnight on March 24th, the crew realized that the tanker was off course. At 12.04 a.m., it hit Bly Reef in Prince William Sound. Eight out of the 11 cargo tanks were punctured. Soon, 10.8 million gallons of crude oil had spilled into the surrounding waters. Eventually, the spill polluted more than 1,000 miles of shoreline in south-central Alaska. Thousands of seabirds, sea otters and seals, bald eagles, and fish died because of the spill. The disaster had a significant effect on wildlife, environment-reliant industries, recreational fishing, and tourism. In investigations after the disaster, it was found that Captain Hazelwood was not at the navigation bridge. Third mate Gregory Cousins was in charge of it. Cousins had called Hazelwood just before the vessel struck Bly Reef, recognizing there was danger. But it was too late. When investigators found out that Hazelwood had been drinking before boarding Exxon Valdez, Exxon fired him. He was cleared of being intoxicated at the time of the incident, but he was convicted of misdemeanor negligence, fined $50,000, and sentenced to 1,000 hours of community service. After years of appeals, Hazelwood began community service in 1999. Exxon was deemed responsible for the disaster, along with the company's incompetent and overworked crew. Blame was also placed on the U.S. Coast Guard for a poor system of traffic regulation. In 1990, Congress passed the Oil Pollution Act, which created measures for responding to oil spills and increased penalties for spills. It also called for the eventual banning of single-hulled tankers from U.S. waters. Now, all tankers for oil, liquefied natural gas, and chemicals are double-hulled. Over the years, Exxon paid billions of dollars on restitution, cleanup costs, and personal damages. Exxon employees, federal responders, and Alaska residents helped clean up the spill. They used chemical dispersants and booms and skimmers for mechanical cleanup. But some methods workers used removed oil yet killed plants and animals. And a portion of the Alaskan coastline is still polluted with subsurface oil. Exxon Valdez was repaired, renamed, and soon returned to service. It was sold for scrap in 2012. Though the Exxon Valdez oil spill had a huge impact on the environment and industry, there have been plenty of other incidents that resulted in much larger oil spills in world history. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. 
this time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.